Matthew chapter 27, verses 62, all the way to chapter 28, verse 10. Or Matthew chapter 27, verse 62. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, or Lord, we remember how that imposter said while he, was, while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the others or tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Chapter 28, verse 1. Now after Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow, and for fear of him the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. For he has risen. And he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Won't you, uh, you guys may be seated. Why don't you pray, for me, pray with me one more time. Uh, God, I want to thank you so much for this morning. I want to thank you for bringing all of us here safely. We ask and pray even against all the spiritual attacks and battles. Uh, give us a heart that is focused on your word, that is hungry to receive only from you and what you have to say. So speak through me clearly, and may uh, this time be a time of blessing, a time of feeding of your word. We thank you, we love you, we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you guys are taking notes, title of today's message is called, Behold, Christ Has Risen. Behold, Christ Has Risen. Now, I don't know how much of you guys read the news. I think nowadays it's like the news feed, but whether it's uh, news about politics, sports, disasters, uh, or any other topics, people respond differently to the news. People respond differently regarding what they see and what they hear. For example, did you guys know that millions lost power over this weekend uh, due to the California wildfires? For some, it's devastating news, but for, for others, we had no idea. Or did you know, uh, how about the World Series, right? Right now, Washington Nationals and Houston Astros are tied 2-2. Two to two. For some, it's the most exciting news because you guys are either from Houston or Washington. But for others, we didn't even know that World Series is baseball, right? More often than not, I would say how you respond to the news or any news is mainly dependent on how it involves you, how it affects you. Meaning, even though the content of the news is the same, for one group, it can be good news, while for others, it can be bad news. For example, if you're from California or your family is directly impacted by the wildfires, then this is big news and it's bad news. 
But if you're either from Washington or Houston and you're an avid baseball fan, then uh, you're probably f closely following the World Series because it's good news. It's history. In looking at today's passage, we see two contrasting reactions to, to the news of Jesus' death. We see the same news, the death of Jesus, yet two contrasting reactions. As you saw in our previous weeks, Jesus is finally trialed, mocked, beaten, stripped naked, nailed to the cross, and crucified. Jesus is now dead, and a few days has passed, yet there's still movement. There's still chatter. There's still talks going on in Jerusalem. There's still noise regarding Jesus Christ. You see, even after the death of Jesus, we see one group who are faithfully waiting as they hold on to the promises of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, while the other group are fearfully worrying about the possibility that Jesus could indeed rise again. So one group who are faithfully waiting, and the other group who are fearfully worrying. As Jesus is now removed from the cross and is buried in this new cut, steady-the-art tomb, thanks to Joseph of Arimathea, we see two groups who wait to see what's going to happen. They wait to see what exactly is going to happen to Jesus and how that's going to impact their lives. So first, the ones who are fearfully worrying at the possibility of Jesus' resurrection. In our time together, we're going to contrast the two different groups. First group, fearfully worrying about the resurrection. What they're really worried about is, is Jesus really dead? Is he really, really dead or is he going to come back? From the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he had this anti-fan club called the Jewish Religious Leaders. For them, life was all good until Jesus decides to show up and starts rebuking them and calling them out about how they were not living the way they're supposed to live according to Scripture. And because of this, at every chance that Jesus could get, he was rebuking them. And at every chance that Jesus was rebuking them, these Jewish religious leaders would gather together to plot against Jesus and came up with this master plan to get Jesus arrested and to ultimately get him killed. Oh, they got what they wanted. They got what they wished for, didn't they? Jesus was ultimately falsely accused and trialed where they even got the whole crowd involved to persuade Pilate to crucify Jesus on the cross. The Jewish religious leaders won. From the look of it, it seems as though they won. The Jewish religious leaders got what they wanted. Jesus is now dead, uh, eliminated from this earth. He's crucified, killed, and now he's buried in Joseph's tomb. So the question we've got to be asking is why? Then why are they still worried? Why are they still shaking in their boots? Why are they still worried? Why does it feel as though they lost the battle when in reality it seems as they're supposed to win, right? They got Jesus killed. Well, because they did lose. Let me explain. Initially, the news regarding the death of Jesus was good news to them. They got what they wanted. They wanted Jesus killed so that there's no one else who is above them to tell them that the, how they're living their life is wrong. But what's ironic is how although they disregarded anything and everything that Jesus has ever said, they remember one thing. They remember one thing that Jesus kept on repeating over and over again, and it's regarding his resurrection. Regarding his resurrection, is Jesus truly, really dead? Did we win? 
Maybe it was a weird dream they had last night, or maybe it was an earthquake and the veil of the Jerusalem temple being torn in two. Whatever the case, whatever the reason might be, these Jewish religious leaders didn't get a good night's rest. They were still worried and they were disturbed of the maybe 0.0001 possibility that Jesus could actually come back. There's a slim chance that what Jesus has been saying all this time could indeed be true. That Jesus was, was indeed the Son of God, the Messiah, and that although he is now dead, just as Jesus has been teaching and saying, just as Jesus has been promising, he will indeed rise. And he will indeed rise again in three days. This can't be, because if this was indeed true, then if this was really to happen, then it would be the Jewish religious leader's worst nightmare. All of the things that they were trying to do to get rid of Jesus didn't work. So how do they respond? They need a plan B. To eliminate any possible chance, they again take measures into their own hands, thinking they can put a stop to Jesus rising again. They think they're really smart. They think they can actually stop Jesus from coming back to life. Uh, it's been a while since I watched a movie. But friends, have you ever watched movies like those criminal, those crime movies where you almost feel sorry for the criminal, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a very obvious ending to the movie, and you feel almost sorry for the criminal because they're trying so hard to cover up the uh, evidence. They're trying so hard to cover up the evidence, so hard to run away from the truth. But even through the movie, we learn that truth can't be hidden. You cannot stop from the truth from coming to light. It will be revealed one way or another sooner than later. Well, maybe, just maybe the Jewish religious leaders thought that their plan was going to work. Or maybe they were so worried that they couldn't wait to get together with the Roman governor Pilate to plot another one of their evil schemes to cover up the truth. Whatever the case, we see that the Jewish religious leaders couldn't wait another day. So as soon as Jesus is crucified and buried, the very next day, we see in verse 62, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees, meaning the Jewish religious leaders, got together before Pilate. Right? Verse 62. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. Well, this is interesting because, you know, the day after preparation is called or is known as the Sabbath. Meaning, as Jewish religious leaders, or as, as Jews in general, they were supposed to be in the synagogue. They were not supposed to do any work. They were supposed to be in the synagogue to worship with others and to worship God. According to the sabbatical laws, or Sabbath laws, they weren't allowed to do anything but worship God with his people in the synagogue. But instead, what did they do? These devout Jews, these leaders of the Jew, what did they do? They were breaking their own law. They were breaking their own Sabbath laws and skipping church so they could partner together again with the godless enemy of Rome. Isn't that ironic? These Jewish religious leaders are getting together with the godless enemy of Rome to plot against the king of the Jews. Why? Because to them, there was nothing more important to them. There was nothing more important than to make sure that Jesus stays dead. That Jesus never comes back to life to prove that they were right. Friends, isn't it ironic how wicked and evil sin is? Sin is like an avalanche where it starts small and it starts snowballing and it multiplies so quickly 
to something that you can't even control. Even for the Jewish religious leaders, they were breaking their own laws, not only to kill Jesus, that already happened, but also to make sure that he stays dead. Because then and only then, the truth will be forever covered. And to make matters even worse, we see Jewish leaders addressing Pilate as sir in verse 63. Look with me in verse 63. It says, sir, we remember how that imposter, or Jesus, said while he was still alive after three days, I will rise. Now, this doesn't really mean much, right? Because we call people sir often, right? Maybe if you run into a cop, you get really humble, you're like, sir, right? Or if you're working in a, a customer service, or if you're working in, um, I don't know, at the mall or wherever, right? You might label people, you might call people sir or ma'am, but why this is important, why this is interesting is back in the day, in the book of Matthew, there's only one person that is referred to as sir, that's Jesus Christ. The word sir in the original language is Kyrie, or curious, which means Lord. The only person who is supposed to be called Kyrie or Lord is Jesus Christ. We see here the Jewish religious leaders calling Jesus an imposter, and in return, they call Pilate their Lord. Friends, I believe sin has a way of twisting our mind to go the distance, even if it means that we abandon our Lord and forsake our master because sin lies to us. Sin tricks us, saying that we are our very own master, saying that we got this. We don't need to depend on anyone else. Our allegiance and our devotion to Jesus or anyone else is meaningless as long as at the end of the day we get what we want. Isn't that true? In the depths of our hearts, our sinful nature, our sinful motive is we want to get what we want. If that means we have to use Jesus, use God to get what we want, if that that means we can abuse people to get what we want, at the end of the day, I want what I want. That's the sinful motive. However, one thing with sin is that it makes empty promises. Meaning it never satisfies you and always leaves you wanting more. Rather than quenching your thirst and satisfying your hunger, it's, very, it's the opposite. This is why Jewish religious leaders skip church, break all their Sabbath laws to meet with Pilate, hoping to get what they want. Hoping that if they just get a little bit more soldiers to guard the tomb, that will be okay. But we see, in our third point, they're still worried. Even with putting more guards, state-of-the-art, top-notch guards at the, at the tomb, they're still worried. It's funny how they were so confident and bold before they put Jesus to death, but even after the battle is over, they're still fearfully worried. So what exactly are they worried about? Well, let's look at verse 64 to 66. What are they worried about? Are they afraid that Jesus' disciples are going to steal the body away? Well, first of all, Jesus' disciples are uh, wusses, right? They, they ran away. They, they never, they're never to be seen again after they got, Jesus was captured in Gethsemane. And they're not even strong enough to roll that stone away. And from what we know of the disciples, no one came back to even see Jesus being crucified. So does that mean that the leaders were not really worried about the disciples? They were really actually worried about Jesus Christ. Could it be that the one who had power to cure diseases like leprosy, 
The one who had the power to calm the storms and walk on water, the one who had the power to cast out demons and even raise Lazarus from the dead, could it be that this Jesus who claims to be the Messiah, who claims to be the Son of God, would rise from the dead and be powerful enough to defeat death itself? Well, if that's really true, then what are they doing ordering a few guards to stand before the tomb. Do they actually think, if that's really true, if Jesus could defeat death and sin and come back to life, are a few soldiers going to hold him down? I mean, if Jesus could really rise again from the dead, then he can certainly move that stone. He can certainly handle and overpower a few guards. And if Jesus could really indeed rise again from the dead, he could do whatever he wants. But all they got is a few soldiers to guard, to make sure that Jesus doesn't go anywhere. What's really funny is how all of these evil schemes, all their planning, all their efforts will soon backfire because no earthly power could overpower the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. All the power on earth and hell combined is not even close. There's no match for the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Indeed, there was absolutely nothing that was going to stop Jesus or hinder God's plan for his son to rise again. No amount of evil schemes, no amount of worries or concerns or even all the powers on earth and hell combined was going to stop Jesus from rising again. So for the Jewish religious leaders, they were terrified. They were fearfully worrying at the possibility of the resurrection of Christ. They were worried because they were trying so hard to keep the truth buried. But as for another group of people that we see in today's passage, As for the two Marys, the women, they were not fearfully worried. They were faithfully waiting for the truth to be revealed because they believed in the promise of his resurrection. So let's look at that, part number two. Faithfully waiting for the resurrection. This is why we see them going to the tomb, right? We see them going to the tomb as soon as they could, after the Sabbath. The reason why uh, the Jewish religious leaders and the guards beat these women to to the tomb is because they kept their Sabbath. They didn't go anywhere on Sabbath. They were in the synagogue worshiping God. But the day after, in the dawn, as we see in verse 1, they go to meet Jesus because they believe that Jesus will rise again, just as he promised. According to the Gospel of Matthew, these, these Marys, right? Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. It must, be, it must suck to be the other Mary, right? They're always the other Mary, right? But anyways, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary... They were actually the first eyewitnesses to encounter the empty tomb and the risen Jesus. I mean, the guards got there before them, but they were nearly dead, as you can see in today's passage. But these women were the first ones to encounter the resurrection. This is interesting because if you recall from our time together last Sunday, back in the first century Roman world, women were considered second-class citizens in comparison to men. Meaning, they were so marginalized that their testimony was not valid in a court of law. Meaning they were, no matter how smart they are, no matter how successful they are, their testimony was not valid. So even if they saw the empty tomb, and even if they saw Jesus rising again from the dead, their testimony would not be valid. So then the question we've got to ask is, so then why? Why does Matthew and the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, why do they choose to include these women on in Scripture, as the only eyewitnesses of the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection. 
I mean, if these guys were smart and if they were lying, if they were trying to make other people believe them, if they were making this stuff up, wouldn't they want to get men who are valid testimonials? Why do they want to include these women if they're not going to be valid? Well, because it's the truth. They were, saying, they were speaking the truth. Resurrection of Jesus Christ happened on a real day in history. And there were real eyewitnesses that's been recorded in Scripture. It was these faithful women who have seen Jesus crucified, who have seen Jesus buried, and who will, seen, who will soon see Jesus alive again. Now, although the world might label them as second-class citizens, although the world might label them as a fool, in God's eyes, it is through their testimony. It is through their faithfulness that the good news of the resurrection of Jesus was spread. As Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, faithfully waiting for the resurrection of Christ, their faithful waiting is met with words of comfort, a call and a charge from the angel of the Lord as well as Jesus himself. It is these faithful women who might be marginalized and labeled as second-class citizens in the world who God chooses to use to build his church. So first, let's, let's listen to the first word, the words of comfort, right? It says, do not be afraid. Verses four and five, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. We see that as the woman reached the tomb, they not only saw that the, tomb, the stone of the tomb was rolled away, but they also encountered an angel of the Lord. Has anyone here encountered an angel of the Lord? Right? Immediately, the first thing the angel of the Lord says is a message of comfort. Don't be afraid. Be not afraid. If you've never seen an angel, that's great. Because I heard if you ever see an angel, we should be acting just like these guards who are terrified, who are trembling, and becoming like dead men. This is interesting because whenever humans encounter angels in the Bible, each and every time they freak out. Right? Each and every time. I, I want to encourage you to read the Bible. Every time a human encounters an angel, they freak out. And there's good reason for them to freak out because an angelic encounter means the reason why an angel comes to see you is because as a messenger, he's letting you know God's wrath is coming. Oh, you're, you're, you're doomed. The wrath is coming for you. Nowhere to run. Right? I mean, I've never seen an angel, but I would probably be just like the guards who are trembling and becoming like dead men. They were probably either shaking or frozen in place with a very, very pale face, laying flat on their face, pretending to be dead, hoping that the angel would pass by, hoping that somehow in some way they would miss these, these guards. Well, the angel got no good news for these guards. Right? The angel got no good news for these guards, but for the ladies, for these women, he's got good news. He's got great news. I believe he says, do not be afraid for two reasons. Number one, he says, don't be afraid because he recognizes their faithfulness. I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. So he recognizes their faithfulness. He recognizes that they are different from the guards. He says, no, you don't, you don't need to be afraid. The wrath of God is not for you. And number two, they no longer need to be afraid or fearful of the wrath of God because Jesus Christ 
has taken upon himself the full wrath of God that they deserve. That we all deserve. And on the cross, once and for all, he is paid for our ransom. And now he is alive. Which means resurrection of Jesus is not a message of horror, but a message of hope. So there's no need for you to be afraid anymore of the wrath of God because it has been paid in full on the cross. Friends, you and I as sinful people need, should be deathly afraid of the sinless one. However, if we place our faith in him, if we are in Christ, meaning if we believe that he loves us, that he died for us, and that he has paid for our ransom through his blood, then there's no need for us to be afraid. Some of us are afraid of ghosts, maybe, but there's no need for us to be afraid of anything in this world because Jesus rising again from the dead is perhaps the greatest news. It's a message of eternal hope, message of victory, message of comfort. Don't be afraid. But you see, Jesus didn't just die so that we can be comforted. Jesus didn't, he didn't just die on the cross, go through all of that so we can feel warm and fuzzy and comforted. So that we can have faith from a distance. Jesus died, believe that. No, you see, he calls us in. He invites us in. He invites us to see for ourselves, hear for ourselves, decide for ourselves that indeed the resurrection is real. So second message, a call. He says, come and see. He invites them in. Verse 6 to 8. Uh, he is not here. He has risen. For he has, for, and he said, come and see the place where he lay. Verse 9, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. That's weird, right? I don't know. The first thing that Jesus comes out, that comes out, the first word that comes out of his mouth as soon as he's resurrected is greetings or hi, right? That's even more scary, right? They came up to him and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Although Matthew doesn't include any details, right? He doesn't include any details about the actual resurrection itself, how Jesus his body shriveled up, or his spirit came out. and No, he doesn't mention anything about the resurrection, but we see the effects of the resurrection. The effects it ought to have on us as followers of Christ. You see, the stone was rolled away, not to let Jesus out, but to let the woman in. The stone was not rolled away so that Jesus could come out. It was only because to let the woman in. So they can see for themselves that the angel wasn't lying. So that they could see for themselves that Jesus is indeed alive. And friends, I believe the same goes for us. Christianity, this religion, is a religion that calls us. It's a religion that invites us to see for ourselves, to hear for ourselves, to experience for ourselves that Jesus is real. Come and see the place where he lay. Take all the time you need. Thoroughly examine everything. Don't believe in Jesus just because someone forces you to see. Just because someone forces you to listen, but see for yourself, experience for yourself. Just as God allowed the woman into the tomb to see for themselves, I believe he calls each and every one of us to come and see, to come and hear. He's calling each and every one of us to come and see and experience for ourselves that there's nothing better in this world than Jesus Christ. That there's nothing better and experiencing for, us, uh, for ourselves the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Friends, if there's one thing that I want to encourage you guys, I know you guys are busy, but if you call yourself a Christian, I want to encourage you guys to study the Word of God on your own. 
Some of you guys don't even know where your Bibles are at. We all need to encounter Jesus on a personal level. Coming on Sundays to listen to a pastor teach is not enough. If that is your only feeding, that's not enough. The angel of the Lord never told Mary's to take his word for it. He invited them in to see for themselves, to experience for themselves personally the risen Lord. Not only did they see the empty tomb, but as they were on their way to tell other disciples about the risen Lord, we see in verse 9 that they encountered Jesus face to face, personally. And their automatic response was to bow before his feet and worship him. Do you know why you have a hard time worshiping God? It's maybe because you haven't encountered him in a personal level. Maybe it's been a long time since you had a personal relationship with him. My prayer is that we will encounter this Jesus each and every day of our lives. Friends, when was the last time you genuinely encountered Jesus in your life? Maybe for some of us, we're just waiting for that aha moment. We're just waiting for Jesus to appear before our eyes and say, greetings. You'll probably freak out. Or we want Jesus to appear before us like he did to the woman, so we will believe. But friends, we have, a, we have full access to the living word of God every day. May we take advantage of that. We are just one verse away from a revival. We're too lazy. We're too busy. We are just one prayer away from rekindling our love for Jesus Christ. But we've got too much stuff to do. Friends, as we meditate upon his word and as we pray, may we open our eyes and our ears and ultimately our hearts to encounter our risen Lord. And may we worship him at his feet, for he is worthy. It's on a side note, right? Isn't it interesting now Halloween's coming along? There aren't very many ghosts that you see with feet. Right? Do you see any ghosts with feet? Here Jesus appears after he's resurrected with feet. Maybe to let these women know and let everyone know he's not a ghost. He's, he's, he's real. He's got feet. And the people are worshiping at the foot of the cross. For some of us, we're too prideful to bend down to the foot of the cross to worship him. We think we don't need him. We think he's not worthy to be worshipped. And we humble ourselves to worship him. So Jesus, is, Jesus not only comforts us with his resurrection, but he also calls us and invites us to see for ourselves that he's alive, and last but not least, so that we, with that truth, we can go and tell the world about our risen Lord. So charge, he gives us a charge to go and tell. So comfort, then call, and lastly, the charge. After the angel of the Lord invites them into the tomb and see for themselves that Jesus has risen, he then tells them to go and tell his disciples regarding this good news. As Paul states in Romans chapter 10, 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. We see these women quickly departing from the tomb with, great, with fear and great joy, running to tell others of this good news. And as they are on their way trying to find the other disciples who have fled from Jesus, in the hiding, mid-stride, they have another encounter. First the angel of the Lord, now Jesus himself. And this time, the risen Lord himself greets and also charges them to go and tell his disciples. To add to the importance of these women, as soon as Jesus resurrects, he doesn't appear before P Peter. He doesn't appear before Pilate. 
he appears first and foremost to these women. And as Jesus meets with them, he charges them all the more to go and tell his brothers. Right? He calls them not his disciples, not his followers, but he calls them his brothers, meaning that he has already forgiven them. He has already forgiven the disciples of their abandonment towards him. And he wants to restore them as he has promised to meet them in Galilee. So what does this mean for us? Simply put, you don't keep the good news to yourself. If you believe it is good news, we ought to share it with others. Friends, when's the last time you shared this good news with others? I'm not, saying, I'm not saying sharing it with yourself. When's the last time you went and shared the good news with others? Unless you're like the Jewish religious leader who are spiritually blind until the end from seeing that Jesus rising from the dead defeated sin and death. That's, unless you're blind to see that it is good news, if you genuinely believe that Jesus rising again is good news, then God is charging you to go and tell. If you genuinely believe that Jesus died for your sins and that your sins have been forgiven because of his death and resurrection, then God is calling you. He is giving you a charge not to stay locked up in your own room with your phones, but to go and tell, to become his beautiful hands and feet to bring, who bring the good news to others. Friends, you are at your job right now. You are at your company right now for a greater reason than to simply earn a paycheck. If you're only working to earn a paycheck, man, you live a very, very hopeless life. You are at your current job for a greater purpose than to move up that corporate ladder for a promotion. As for us students, you think your GPA, you think it was your GPA and your extracurricular activities in high school and all that work and effort that you put in high school that got you into these colleges? Maybe that had a part in it, but at the, at the end of the day, God has led you to these colleges for a specific reason. Friends, he has called us on a mission to share about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Each Sunday, we come here, we listen to the word of God, and we go back to our campuses. How are we, how are we being a light? Are we being the beautiful hands and feet of Jesus Christ who are sharing the good news of Christ? This is not a suggestion. It's a command. Friends, what's stopping you? What's hindering you from sharing and spreading this good news? For the Jewish religious leaders, it was their inability to see. It was their spiritual blindness. It was their inability to see that Jesus' resurrection was indeed good news due to their own selfish desire and their selfish ambition. For others, it was their reputation. A lot of us, we care a lot about our reputation. Some of us, we can even lose our jobs. For some of us, it's our love for money and wealth. We know that we need to go and share about Jesus Christ, but there's always that teaching that Jesus talks about a lot, maybe the most, out of any other topic regarding money and wealth. For some of us, it's the worries of this world or the temptations of this world that has such a firm grip on our lives that hinders us, not only from sharing the good news, but even preaching the good news to ourselves. What's hindering us from experiencing Jesus for ourselves? 
and what's hindering us from sharing this good news of Jesus Christ. I pray that just as nothing on earth was able to stop Jesus from rising again, that nothing will be able to stop us from seeing Jesus and sharing about Jesus. If the resurrection power of Jesus Christ cannot be stopped by any power on this earth and hell combined, then our ability to see Jesus and to share Jesus, there should be nothing, no power in hell and on earth that should stop us from seeing Jesus and to share Jesus. My prayer is that we will be like these women who faithfully hold on to the promises of God rather than fearfully worrying that this lie that we're living right now, lying to ourselves that as long as we check in on Sundays, we earned our ticket to heaven, that will all crumble. I really do pray that all of those false ideologies and false notion will crumble sooner than later for us to realize that only truth worth hanging on to is the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.